And in addition to the uh, box in the back, you can also give online at that website that you saw on the slide there a second ago. And yes, every dollar you give, every piece of energy, every minute you serve, that actually helps Whiting Christian Church in its mission to make Christian communities one neighbor at a time. Everything you do provides fuel for the mission here at church, uh, like having a sanctuary full of kids singing Christmas songs. I'm sorry, I'm still stuck on the joy of that event. <laughs> well, hey, folks, I got a question for you. Raise your hand. You can, at home, raise your hand, too. That's fine, too. Uh, raise your hand if you have a sibling. All right. So, y'all that are siblings, you understand, you understand kind of the uh, sibling rivalry, the fights. I mean, yeah, you love your sibling. Who here has never fought with their sibling? Yeah, yeah. All right, that's what I thought. I have two siblings. Um, I'm the oldest. Um, my, uh, my little brother, uh, Jeremiah, um, he is uh, about just, just under three years younger than me. Um, and then I have a little sister, Sarah. Uh, she's actually 12 years younger than me. So by the time she was born, Jeremiah and I were already teenagers. We were almost teenagers. And so uh, when we were kind of going through our teenage years, um, she was just a baby. <clears throat> so most of our fighting and our symbol, si si sibling rivalry was really Jeremiah and I. And the thing you got to know about my brother, we are very similar we look very similar, um, but also incredibly different. Um, on the surface, we look very similar. We have a lot of the same interests. Um, we, uh, we enjoy things like we would play paintball together. I love paintball, and my brother and I make an awesome team in paintball. It's one of the few things in this world where we make an awesome team in. But my brother, uh, the thing he has over me is he has always been the tough one and the strong one. My, I'm not ashamed anymore to say this, there was a time when I was, my little brother has been able to beat me up since he was six. And I'll just say it, like, I'm, I'm a bookworm, I'm a guy that, that loves to study, and, and I tell jokes, and I, I like Star Trek. He's a guy who, like, bench presses Buicks. <laughs> uh, my brother uh, also for a, for a while taught Krav Maga, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a self-defense class known for being incredibly brutal. So, like, my brother is all about uh, kind of physically imposing. He's just a, he's a tough dude. Uh, he takes every challenge head on. So growing up was really interesting. My brother and I fought a lot, all right? So imagine being the parent of two large, let's just be honest, and loud teenage boys who get in very physical fights. We actually fought so much that we had a rule in our house where um, if you broke the drywall, because it happened enough, you have to, you have to fix it. Um, I got really good at patching drywall. And if I go back to the house that we grew up in, I would bet that you'd have a hard time finding a square foot of untouched drywall in that upstairs of that house. I'm not kidding. At one point, there was a hole in the wall that looked like me, like doing this, like, like from Bugs Bunny. We fought constantly. We were always at each other's throats. 
<clears throat> we smashed through walls. We smashed doors. I don't know how my parents put up with us because we were big, we were loud, and we fought a lot. Growing up, I imagine that pretty much all my parents really wanted was peace. Because, right, we think of peace as this, like, absence of conflict. And, like, here are these two loud teenage boys who are destroying the house day to time. I, now as a parent myself, can imagine just how desperately my parents some nights are just like, oh, just, just be quiet. Just be, go to your room, be quiet. I don't care what you do, just don't do it together. <laughs> right? Well, today is the second week of Advent. And traditionally, the second week of Advent is all about peace. It's all about uh, preparing us for the peace of Jesus, how Jesus brings peace, and we can actually reflect on this idea of what peace means to God, okay? And this is a time to really prepare our hearts for the birth of Jesus, to prepare our hearts for the Christmas message. So today, I want to spend some time focusing on peace and what peace means to God and in scripture and its connection to Jesus. So is peace simply a lack of conflict? Like is peace, as it's known in the Bible, simply means that my brother and I don't throw each other through walls? <laughs> or is there another level of meaning to that word in scripture? So we're just going to jump right in here. We're going, to, we're going to look at the Christmas story. Because in Luke 2, you have this amazing situation, this amazing occurrence where the shepherds are out in the field. The shepherds are the kind of lowest of the low, the lowest caste of, of the people around Jerusalem. They're dirty. They're, they're, they're like basically at the level of society of like beggars. And, and yeah, they're just, they're, they're just shepherds. They never interact in the city. They're, they're not respected. But they're out in the... They're out in the fields, and what happens to the shepherds? I'm going to ask you, what happens to the shepherds that's so unique? The angels come. The angels actually announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. And I want to read this because something the angels say makes us stop and think a little bit, okay? So we're in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angels said to them, to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Verse 13. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, and I want you to listen to this here, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So I want to focus in on that announcement from the angels here. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, Peace to those whom favor rests. Now, you've heard me talk a lot about different languages in Scripture. We know that, contrary to popular belief, the Bible was not written in English. Um, it was actually written in a whole bunch of different languages. This particular passage was originally written in Greek. 
Koine Greek. And when you have to look at languages, sometimes words translate differently in different languages. And so this word that we translate as peace comes from the Greek word irene. All right? Can you say irene? Irene. Everybody's like, yeah, okay. Irene. It's this Greek word for peace. It's actually where we get the name Irene. So if you know anybody named Irene, their name actually means peace in Greek. So this word arene in, in Greek is this, the tranquil state of a soul that is assured of its salvation. It's, it's a unique biblical word, spiritual word in Koine Greek. It's this tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. Okay, it's a peace, to translate it simply as this word peace kind of misses some of the other, other aspects of this word. This tranquil state of an assured soul. Okay, in other words, it means contentment. It means harmony. It means reconciliation with our purpose and our creator. And actually, this word, the reason it's so unique in, in Greek, it doesn't really happen outside of spiritual text, is because this word irene, irene, is actually a translation itself of a Hebrew concept called shalom. Now, that's easier to say, believe it or not. Say shalom. Shalom. You probably heard that word before. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace, but it goes beyond that. It's the state of contentment, this state of, of being well and with purpose of God, okay? In other words, what the angels are saying is glory to God in the highest heaven and contentment, restoration, and reconciliation to the people that have God's favor, all right? So peace in Scripture is not simply the absence of conflict, but it's the state of contentment and harmony and unity. So Jesus came to bring peace, to bring shalom, not merely the absence of war and the absence of conflict and to stop us from fighting each other, but actually restoration, reconciliation to the purpose that we were given, to the people that we were made to be. Jesus came to bring this shalom. Now, I'd love to be able to tell you more about this concept, but actually there's a, a, a resource online that is wonderful. It's called Bible Project. It's this uh, <coughs> group of theologians and animators, and they make free content online and free Bible studies. And Bible Project actually did a short video on the meaning of biblical peace. And so I'd like to show you guys that real quick. Just a few minutes. Watch the screens behind me. The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It could gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. 
The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. True peace is about taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness. True shalom, true erene, is this concept of bringing wholeness, bringing contentment to something that was broken. This was also central to Jesus' teaching himself in John 16. John, uh, sorry, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that, you, so that in me you may have erene, peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world so that you can have peace. This uh, is explained in the <clears throat> kind of uh, uh, implications of Jesus' ministry. In 2 Corinthians, uh, you hear, all this is from God who reconciled, remember reconciled is one of those ideas coming out of shalom, of peace, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of bringing what is broken back to wholeness. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, of peace. It's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God, to fix your broken relationship with God. God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, we acknowledge our broken relationship with God, but Jesus has come to bring wholeness, to bring reconciliation, to bring erene, to bring shalom, and fix what was broken, to bring peace. God reconciled us to him through Jesus and therefore gave us the task of that ministry of reconciliation to the rest of the world. Gave us the task of carrying that reconciliation outward, bringing about shalom for everybody else. It's not just about us. We were made whole through the death and resurrection of Jesus so that we can bring that peace to the rest of the world. It's a natural overflow of the shalom that exists in God's people to be able to affect and reconcile the world around us as our lives intersect with it. And we see this, again, I know I'm going through a whole bunch of scripture here, but that's why in Matthew 5, in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Because to be a child of God, to be someone who has allowed themselves to be changed by Jesus at this fundamental level, to be open to the shalom, to the wholeness, to the harmony that comes when our relationship with the Creator is healed, means to take on the mantle to bring that same reconciliation to the world around us. We are called to be peace makers. We have a mission to be peacemakers. It's your role as a child of God to be able to walk into what is broken and make it whole. So what does this look like? Well, we are each recipients of an undeserved grace. There's nothing we did to get Jesus to save us. We didn't earn it. We weren't like just super good. And therefore, God's like, uh, like you, you're saved. God died for us while we were still sinners. We didn't earn it. We didn't have to clean ourselves up in order to be clean. And that means that grace, that forgiveness that we have enjoyed becomes the fundamental aspect of how we share erene, how we share peace to the rest of the world. Okay? We were forgiven not because of actions we've taken, which means we need to forgive others. We need to forgive others, regardless of how they have treated us. That's a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> That's a hard pill to swallow. Now, when I say forgive, I'm just, just take a quick, quick side note. I am not saying forgive and forget. Forgive, when I say forgive, it doesn't necessarily mean that you jump right back into the relationship as it was. I mean, if someone hurts my child, 
while they're babysitting me and I get and I'm able to forgive them, it doesn't mean that I'm going to let them babysit again. So, I mean, absolutely, it's good to have barriers and protections, but we still need to forgive and we need to take the first step when it comes to that. That's what peace means. That's what being a peacemaker is about. It's not that we wait for them to earn the right for us to be able to build the bridge. It's that we offer the bridge. And then they get the chance to walk across. So we are the recipients of undeserved grace. And so we need to extend that undeserved grace to others because we are called to be peacemakers. So what does this look like? All of us have relationships that are broken, I'm sure. All of us have difficult relationships in our world, okay? If that's like me and my brother fighting as teenagers, or whether that's a, a family member that you haven't spoken to in 10 years, or maybe it's a lot less personal. Maybe it's more of a, you're just finding yourself at odds, at odds with another group of people, with another person, uh, with another organization that you just, it's just filled with rage. That's a broken thing that needs restoration and reconciliation. So how do we begin as people to take that message of being a peacemaker? How do we do that? Well, I'm going to do a cheesy uh, pastor thing for you here, and I'm going to give you a, uh, an acronym for you. <laughs> All right? Remember the word along. Okay, along, A-L-O-N-G. Okay, if you're taking notes, write that word down, along. Along, this is a, a series of steps that you can take based on biblical principles to be able to heal relationships. Doesn't always work because relationships are a two-way street, but this is a good starting point to be able to bring reconciliation to the world around you. So first, A, along. A, acknowledge the brokenness or admit to the barrier. First step in fixing something is acknowledging it's broken, right? The first step of changing a light bulb is recognizing that that light bulb don't work no more. <laughs> All right? You have to acknowledge the barrier, acknowledge the brokenness. What's broken here? Okay, is it a broken relationship? Is it high stress causing you to not really interact with others? Okay, what is broken? Is it addiction and sickness? What exactly is broken in this situation? Acknowledge what is broken. What's the barrier preventing it from being healed? Is the relationship uh, broken because of hurt feelings? Because something was said long ago and you just can't get over it at the moment? Is resentment building a barrier to reconciliation? Is it guilt? Is it a lack of resources? If the brokenness you're facing is more medical or, or, or uh, addiction-based, is it just simply a lack of resources to be able to get help that we need? What is the barrier stopping you currently from addressing this brokenness? Okay? And what you do is once you acknowledge that, you have to give it to God. You have to take that, acknowledge that brokenness, acknowledge that barrier, what's preventing this from actually happening, and give that over to God. And then L in along is for listen to God. Listen. Okay? Pray and listen to what God has to say to you. 
specifically humble yourself, okay? When you're praying to God for reconciliation in a relationship or reconciling a broken aspect of your life, the last thing you want to do is go to God and go, tell me everything wrong with that other person. Like, I ain't going to help you at all. You do you. So humble yourself before God. Say, God, this is my brokenness. This is what needs healing. Show me. Show me what I need to do. Then A-L-O. Own it. Own it. When possible, take responsibility for the solution. Don't wait for things to fall in place. If you're in a situation like, oh no, I'm not going to talk to him until he does that. Until he says he's sorry. Until he calls me. Phone rings both ways. I'm going to wait till he calls me. No, 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 no. We're not talking about on the other person. Own it. Be the first to act. What can you do now to help bring about reconciliation? Act. Do not wait for a solution to fall from the sky. Own it. All right? N. Neighbor. Be a neighbor. Draw close to the brokenness. Move in. Okay? Sometimes that's a physical that's a physical moving in. It means actually drawing close to uh, the physical location of the site of your brokenness. But sometimes it's merely making a phone call or it's making yourself accessible or opening a dialogue with somebody that you don't understand or often disagree with. Be present and accessible. Be a neighbor. Move in next door. Be available and accessible to the person or to the thing that you're trying to reconcile, okay? It does you no good to uh, go through this long, long list of ways to heal a broken relationship and then never talk to the person or call them ever again. You have to be available. And then G, forgive. Jesus forgave us. We need to learn to forgive others. We need to act in love. The thing about grace is that grace is a gift, and as a gift, it's given without expectations of return. All right? When you give a gift, it's, you don't give a gift to get something. That's not a gift. That's called purchasing. Okay? We don't purchase grace. Grace is given to us without an expectation of return. We respond to grace, but we don't earn it. Likewise, you're called to forgive without expectation of return. Forgiveness and grace has very little to do with the other person's response to that grace. Offering grace is your decision. None of these steps are easy. All of these steps are incredibly difficult. Okay? Along. All right? Acknowledge, listen, own it, neighbor, and then grace. Reconciliation is a two-way street. It often requires both parties to participate. However, as a Jesus follower, we are called to be peacemakers, restoration workers. We have a responsibility to act in the ministry of reconciliation. We are called to bring shalom, to bring wholeness to what is broken. So while reconciliation might require both parties, don't let it fail because you failed to embrace your mission. Or you failed to own it. Or weren't willing to draw close to the problem. 
Now, quick note. At no point am I telling you to abandon your principles, okay? I'm not telling you that you need to water down your beliefs or anything so that you, so that you have to compromise or anything like that. You can have a posture of grace and re- reconciliation while continuing to disagree. For example, my brother and I, today, we are very close. I love my brother. I love my brother so much. Do we agree? Very rarely. <laughs> we argue all the time. All the time. We constantly butt heads. We are constantly fighting. We disagree on pretty much every topic under the sun. All right? But our relationship is not based on our agreement. Our relationship is based on the fact that we are brothers. That's the basis of our relationship. And that's not going to change. I tell you what, there's nobody I would trust more in a crisis to have my back than my little brother. And I would bet he'd say the same thing about me. My brother is amazing. He's a strong and smart individual, and I deeply respect him. I deeply disagree with him 99% of the time, and often... If left alone for more than four days with him, I'm sure we'd end up throwing each other through walls again. But I love him. And we have a strong relationship. It is absolutely possible to have a reconciled relationship and a reconciled understanding with somebody and a grace-filled interaction without having to cave to the way they see the world. Right? Jesus came to bring shalom, to bring peace. And through him, we have peace. And therefore, we carry a mission to bring that peace, that reconciliation to the rest of the world. And that means in our own bro- broken relationships, but also in the brokenness we see around us. As the people of God, we are called to embrace God's true peace. And in that vein, let's end with the words of Jesus. Stand with the words of Jesus recorded in the book of John, and he says it this way. I want you, when you hear this, think of the definition of peace that we talked about. John 14, verse 27. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not be afraid. Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give you. My shalom, my contentment, my wholeness is yours. Use it. Let's pray. God, you are good. You came down to live our life, pay our price, die our death, pay a price that was meant for us. Through that, you were able to restore us to our true purpose and our true understanding, our true wholeness with you, our creator. There's nothing we can do that can earn that. But what we will do is we'll leave this place as peacemakers, as agents of your shalom, to bring that same wholeness and that same peace to the rest of the world around us, to heal the divisions around us. to heal the broken relationships in our families and our lives, our broken friendships, but also just simply to have respect with one another and to heal the brokenness that surrounds us. We are equipped to do what we can to bring wholeness, to bring contentment, to bring shalom to this world. So I pray that you continue to empower us, 
as we step forth into this world, I pray that we are fully equipped to be able to bring shalom, to bring erene, to bring peace as you saw it into our lives and into the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.